Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. In the backyard, and I mowed over a ground nest of yellow jackets. I know you can feel it. It was not a good day. It was, uh, um, well, let's just say I ended up with an EpiPen after all of that, and hives where you're not supposed to get them, and it was not a good day. But as I thought about that um, experience, it was, it reminded me a little bit of how we feel when we talk about anxiety, because it, it was one of those things, if anybody would have seen me that day, they're just kind of, kind of swatting around, wondering what in the world I was swatting at, because that's really kind of the the way anxiety is in our lives is sometimes it's, it's coming from nowhere. We, sometimes we're not even able to define it. We're anxious. Worry is sometimes just something that's in our head. It's that one thing. But anxiety, that's kind of another animal. It's something that's just all around us and we're swatting at it and just hoping somehow I can bring it under control and then it stings us. I'm better now, just in case you were worried. <laughs> well, today we uh, continue a three-week series that we have entitled Releasing Anxiety, and last week Aaron began that series, and, and if you missed that, I, well, really, don't worry about it. <laughs> Been working on that all week, thanks so much. Anybody here from Peoria? Okay. You can go online, you can see that, it's a, it's a great foundational talk for releasing anxiety. What, is, what does God have to say to us about that as followers of Jesus? Today we're going to continue that. Uh, my name is Dean Moyer, by the way. I'm associate pastor here. My, if I had a business card, it would say connections and spiritual formation, but they can't fit it all on there. They have to turn it around, and, but that's kind of what I do here. And uh, it's my privilege today to serve you as we look into the Word and perhaps explore a little bit more deeply what God has to to have uh, to offer us by way of help with our anxiety. But before we do that, we do need his help as we listen to his word. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you uh, for being a good, gracious God, a, a kind shepherd, one who knows our brokenness and our need, which we confess before you, one who has done great and mighty things in the past, one on whom we can rely and trust. You are a great God that we can bring our needs to. And we ask that you help us today as we um, look at your word, as we examine uh, ways in which you, you want us to enter into discovery and living out a life of following Jesus, even in the midst of our anxious moments. So help us, we pray, Holy Spirit, to honor the word you inspired. Re-inspire it in our hearts today for Christ and his glory, we pray. Amen. Well, not long ago, in fact, it was last year as the college season was starting, I uh, was talking to the, uh, I guess his title is the college pastor of, uh, up at App State, and I said, I asked him a question, what, what is the predominant issue 
that college students face when they come to college. And without hesitation, he said, the number one life issue for them is anxiety. Following close behind is a high rate of depression, and the counseling centers are full. This was at the beginning of the year. When we hear that, we're sad, but, but really we're not surprised, are we? Some of you and your students know just what he's talking about. Whether a college student or just entering preschool, uh, anxiety is more the norm rather than the exception. And Beverly and Caesar and I have put together some resources that some of you may have received in, in your email boxes uh, this week. If you haven't, uh, there's some simple tools uh, for a very complex problem, but there's some handles maybe you can grab a hold of that might help you and your students uh, through some anxious moments as they begin school. If you've not received them, you can stop maybe at the welcome table at the back and write your name down, some contact information, and we'll get that to you. Uh, earlier this summer, I attended a seminar by uh, noted author Gordon Smith, and it was a talk on spirituality in the secular age. And he termed this period of time and in which you and I all live as the age of anxiety. <laughs> the biblical word for anxiety means to, to be taken by thought or, or care, as though we're kind of trapped by it or obsessed by it. The German word, as it's translated, is even more illustrative of this picture of anxiety. It means to choke, to, to deaden by choking, to strangle, to, to pull us apart, all those pictures. The reality is, anxiety, like those yellow jackets, are often diffuse. They come at us at all different angles, and they paralyze us. Psychologists tell us that anxieties fall in one of three categories, uh, and you'll probably identify with one or all of these. We have anxieties that, that, that are rooted in our past. Maybe it's something you're, you feel guilty about, some for unforgiveness, some, some hurt, but we're just kind of always worried and wrestled about, wrestling about those things. Or we've got those anxieties, those worries that, that situate us in the present. Maybe it's a relational conflict. Maybe it's an impending decision. Maybe it's a new thing you're doing that just brings you great anxiousness. And then there's the future. We're all worried about the future whether there's going to be world peace, whether I'll have enough money to retire, whether my kids will make someday make smart decisions. And some of us are a bit more prone to anxiousness than others. There, there are some that suffer so much from it that we can classify it in the disorder category, and, the, and you need professional help. And I want to speak just for a moment to you as your pastor. Some of you, some of us, need help when we are broken. You know, it's interesting. When, when I have a little boo-boo or a trauma or a broken something physically, we rush right off to the doctor. But somehow, when there's a mental imbalance, a mental illness, culture and even our own religious communities sometimes make that a taboo thing. Somehow, it's something else is wrong. But listen, the grace and mercy of God is 
equally present and helpful in the doctor's office as he is outside of the doctor's office. And so it's okay. It's okay to receive help in the way that God offers it in that way. But I don't believe really any of us are exempt from this grip of anxiety. We, we told each other last week, if you were here, uh, Remember, Aaron said, how many of you, how many? And if you were here, all of us raised our hands. We're all anxious about something. And I think Scripture bears this out. Anxiety affects us mentally. Psalm 94, 19 says, When my anxious inner thoughts become overwhelming, it's your comfort that encourages me. Anxiety affects us emotionally. Proverbs 12, 25 says, Anxiety in a heart, in a man's heart, weighs it down. Have you experienced the weight of anxiety that just kind of makes life heavy? And physically, Psalm 38, 8, I am numb with pain and severely battered. I groan loudly because of the anxiety that I feel. It's often said that worry is something that we play with in our head, but anxiety gets situated right, right here, and it's just something that tears us up. Spiritually, anxiety has a tremendous effect on us, one we may not even realize. Jesus tells the story, the, the parable of the sower. You might remember it. It's the picture of a farmer that throws seed down in a path, and, and there's a, or rocky ground, or a thorny place, or finally fertile ground. Those that sow the seed of God along the path, it's like someone who hears the word but does not understand it, and the evil one comes along and snatches it away. On the rocky ground, he says, it's like someone who immediately receives it, but it never takes root because of trouble and persecution. And then listen to this. He says in Matthew 13, 22, As for what was sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfaithful. Anxiety chokes the word. What is the word? It is the truth of God in us. It is God's voice. We might even say it this way. Anxiety silences the voice of God in our lives. That's a problem. That's a problem if you're following Jesus. So what's the solution? That's probably why you came this morning. Get your list out. What, how do we solve all these things, right? There are none. Good day. No, we'll go on. There really aren't any easy answers, no magic pill, no fairy dust to make it all go away. But I do believe, this is what I believe with my heart, this morning, that God's, God, He provides for us a way to move forward in freedom and peace. He shows us this way through a character by the name of Paul in the New Testament. He was originally named Saul. You might remember him. He was the great persecutor of those who followed Jesus. Until one day, he had this encounter with the living Christ on the road to Damascus. There he was blinded, and God put a call on his life. And then he, after some time of preparation, he went out on missionary journeys where he became the persecuted. 
He became the one troubled by the fact that he was now proclaiming Christ, the risen Christ, as the only way. So in his missionary journeys, the first church that he established was the church in Philippi. This church in Philippi, uh, Paul, while he was there, he was persecuted while he was there. Uh, He left. The church continued to experience persecution because he was speaking something completely countercultural. Paul continued to travel around and sometime later was in a Roman prison, and he received a letter from this church in Philippi, kind of like a reverse missionary letter. We're having all these troubles, Paul. Uh, Things aren't going real well, Paul. And so Paul writes a letter back of encouragement to him. Near the end of this letter, he says these words, which will be our focus for the rest of the morning. Hey, Philippian church and all your persecution and trouble. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Paul. Interestingly, I think Paul from his own experience in walking with the living Christ, tells them something that at first might feel a little lame. Sounds like he's saying, stop it. Pray about it. Kind of what it sounds like, right? And they're going, really? This, this is all you've got, Paul? We're being persecuted The cares of this world are are choking out the the word that you planted in us. We're we're carrying the guilt of our past, our pagan worship. We're, We're suffering here in the present because of our new faith. Nobody likes us. And the future looks, well, not very hopeful. And so we've tried that, Paul, and it doesn't work. If I just stop it and pray, everything won't be okay. In fact, I don't even know what that means anymore. Isn't that how we felt? Perhaps you've had family or friends, well-meaning, deemed, just stop it. Don't you pray more? Do you ever have that happen? Well, before we dismiss Paul's counsel, like us to take a closer look at actually what he's suggesting because he gives us something incredible, some amazing words of Scripture. And he does it with two commands. And it does sound like stop it and pray more, because the first one is a negative command, and then the second one is a positive command. But the negative one, it says, be anxious for... Yeah, get over it, people. That's not what he's saying. Some of the translations might say, don't be anxious for anything... And again, we might respond to Paul and say, yeah, I hear you, but but you don't know my life. You don't know what I have to deal with, Paul. You don't know that my kids are making horrible decisions. You don't know that I'm living paycheck to paycheck and I still don't have enough money. And on and on. And yet Paul's words couldn't be clearer. 
The Greek word used here means nothing. Did you get that? Are you taking notes? Nothing means nothing. In fact, the goal of this statement is that it would be anxious for blank, nothing. That's the goal. Release everything. Release it, is what he's saying. Release it to God. But then the question is, but how do I do that? And for this, Paul continues and offers a positive command to balance that negative one, a way of living that helps us to actually release anxiety. He doesn't just say, don't be anxious and pray. He frames it now with four New Testament words, the four New Testament words for prayer, all in this one sentence. And this is where it gets rich for us, and I believe helpful, because he says, in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We've prepared a little card for you. You can uh, have that. It shows this to be somewhat of a little frame for you to use today and maybe in the future. But um, we'll, we'll explain it kind of as we go. But it provides the outline for us this morning. What Paul is inviting them to it, into is not some sort of magic formula. I want to get that out of the way. We're not saying if you do all these things, you'll somehow get God's attention and your life will be all better. That is not at all what he's saying. What he is saying is that out of his own relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, that he's now modeling for them as their pastor how he regularly lives out his life as a follower of Jesus as he faces his own anxieties because they won't go away. He says... In this kind of relationship with God, you can bring everything one by one to him and frame your praying, if you will, with this kind of prayer. The first word that he uses here is the general word for prayer. In everything by prayer and supplication, but prayer. Two interesting things about this word. One implies the posture by which we come to God. The disciples of Jesus saw this kind, they witnessed this in him, and they said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he had this inward posture. He probably knelt too, because that's what the pictures show us. We don't know that. So, but he, the posture is inward posture of prayer. And this posture, as it begins, is what? He says, our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. It's this posture of reverence. It's not, hey God, I got a problem. No, it's, it's like the hymn writer gave us words when they said, Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light and accessible, hid from our eyes. It's this completely other God. It's a posture of A God who is completely other, one who we've made a bit too common. It's a God of reverence. So it's a posture of reverence because this is who God is. It's like what David wrote in Psalm 104. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. Paul says when he enters into prayer, it's first postured by this sense that God is God. 
The second thing that is so interesting in this word, the implication is not only our posture, but it's also a place. It's what took place when, when Jesus, in Matthew 6, the kind of praying, when Jesus said, when, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray. Pray to this God who is completely other, who has come to be with you. You see that happening? It's, it's a posture and it's a place that God chose to come and be with you. It's a personal God. See, prayer is a place of God with us. The contrast of these two otherness and with usnesses of God is really quite staggering. The God of the universe wants to be somehow with me and knows my need. It's the place where he meets me as Father God, because this is the God who is with us. Well, the second word in this prayer frame as we move around it is this word supplication. This word tells of our neediness, our brokenness, our limitations, and yes, even our sin as we come before God. Most of us have the laundry list of confessions, but sometimes we miss that in our praying and just assume God gets it. If the word prayer is, this is who God is, uh, the word supplication is just simply saying, God, this is who I am. I confess my brokenness, my need for your mercy. There's a prayer in the book of common prayer, which some of you may have some familiarity with. And I'm not suggesting that you have to pray this, but it does give the essence of what kind of pray, prayer we may offer to God. It goes like this. It says, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought and in word and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. And for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your way for the glory, to the glory of your name. Amen. Or we might simply just pray, Father, I am too weak and I'm too broken to deal with this anxiousness on my own. I have no strength in me. Forgive me for thinking and acting independently of you. And this is who I am. The third word is the word thanksgiving. It turns our prayers specifically to what God has already done. It's kind of a mental exercise reminding ourselves that this is who God is, this is who I am, and look what all he's already done. The word here is a familiar word. It's the word eucharisto, where we get the, the word eucharist. When we come around the table together, we celebrate the Eucharist, the giving of thanks for the work of Jesus already completed on our behalf. If you've got nothing else to thank God for, you have that, which is central to our faith. As part of this prayer frame, this to us is an exercise, is a discipline, I believe, of learning to be thankful. 
specifically, before we get to our laundry list, what has God already done? I think it's a discipline, and it's one I, I know that I need to do better at. In fact, you may have heard me practicing this if you've asked me today or in many weeks past, Dean, how are you doing today? And my response, I hope you've heard, has been thankful. I'm thankful. I can choose to be thankful. Quite frankly, I am not always good. I'm not always fine. I'm not. But I can be thankful. And it's that attitude of prayerfulness and walking with God, knowing I can be thankful for the work of God in my life. Sue Sharp, who was in the first service, she's kind of caught on, and she'll come up to me on Sunday morning. She goes, how are you today? I said, I'm thankful. She goes, well, I am too. So, it's caught on a little bit. Don't do that when you come to me. That's really weird. <laughs> Psalms are a great place to start and recount the summary of the many things God works. Write down Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous works. If you've got nothing else to thank God for, run to Scripture because it's listed over and over again. He's a good God. And finally, the, the last word, the, the one you've been waiting for, requests, requests. I need them. This, this is what I need, God. This is really what's troubling me. Most of us have little trouble with proclaiming our trouble. If you're like me, my natural tendency is actually to begin there. And certainly there are times when the urgency of our situation really calls on a child to come to the Father and say, Help, I need it. I need it now. And boy, aren't we grateful for His graciousness. But the danger is we often find ourselves only praying that kind of a prayer. As if Paul wrote in Philippians, Be anxious for nothing and let your requests be made known to God. He didn't say that, did he? Because there's something more in what Paul is offering. The danger is to see that these requests as the last part of some prayer formula as well. Like I mentioned, we, we're not looking at this if I do this and if I do that and if I got this. And then I ask, somehow I've rubbed the magic genie bottle and I get three wishes. That's not what we're talking about. And I don't think that's what Paul intended. In fact, as I considered Paul's offering of words of encouragement to Philippi, I just couldn't imagine anything but this. I think, I believe that he is telling us of how he has a conversation with God daily. It's the life that he lives with God that sustains him, that sustains him. And so here's the bottom line. By using these four very rich relational words for prayer, Paul is not teaching them a method of praying, but rather how to live as a follower of Jesus in the midst of trouble. It seems so simple. Paul's experience tells us that eliminating all of our problems, all that might choke out life, in us 
is not likely going to happen. It also tells us that it will also not bring us peace if it did go away. The absence of anxiety will not bring you peace. How do you get it? The God of peace is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that will will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Say this with me. God is our peace. He is. He's the one who will stand guard over your hearts and minds where all these anxious, anxious wars are waged. Will the reasons for anxiety stop? Probably not. Maybe, but probably not. Paul is framing for us really what it looks like to walk with Jesus in the midst of trouble. To be with him. To abide with him. And I know some of you are really grappling with these demons of anxiety. And they've gripped you and they're choking you. And you're full of care for many things. Like I said, many of them we can't identify. So hear my heart of compassion when I make this next statement. I don't want to suggest this is some easy road of freedom if you do all of those things. But consider for a moment... In fact, all of us consider for a moment the possibility that in the midst of our anxiety, our trouble, that God is inviting us simply to abide with him. Could it be? Could it be? Jesus tells his disciples in the book of John, in John 15, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I've never put prayer into that concept before, but those those two things are wed together beautifully, abiding, praying, and asking. Do you see that? Sounds like prayer. Yet the verse is primarily about our union with God and abiding with him. And so the experience and the invitation of Paul is simply for you and I to to step in and to dwell with God. Let, Let him guard your heart and your mind. Through Jesus, let him bring you peace. Because we live in an age of anxiety. It it is all around. And, And the truth of us, truth of it is, many of us are like those college students. You're lined up in in front of some door, hoping that on the other side you'll get peace. But what if Paul's words are true? What if it's simply an invitation for you and I to come into the presence of the Father, to live there in the presence of the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of peace. Well, a few weeks ago, we were given an opportunity to write down those matters of our lives that cause us 
anxiety. Some of us wrote one or two things. Some of us didn't have enough space on the card to write down all the things that we're anxious about. Some of you wrote emails later that week that just went on and on and on, because there's so much. But today, we want to accept Paul's invitation to abide with God and talk with Him. So what I'd like for us to do today, and I'm inviting you into, is uh, perhaps take that card, and you can use it today or throughout the week. Um, and maybe there's one thing you'd like to write in the middle of that, one anxious thing. And we're going to go through an exercise of prayer this morning that will lead you around that frame. And perhaps it will be a tool for you to take one more step in your walk with Jesus, to abide with him, even in the midst of all that is coming at you. Even as the yellow jackets swarm, God will be your guard, your front and back, left and right, and he will be your peace.